Okay, everybody, we wanted to come together and talk a little bit about what's going on in our country right now. Um, we're taking a bit of a break from our, our planned schedule because we as a faculty felt like this is something that definitely needed to be addressed and prayed about. And to that end, let's, let's open up this discussion with prayer. Heavenly Father, we do lift up to you this country. We are called to intercede on behalf of the nations in which we find ourselves in Jeremiah 29. We want its welfare. We want its peace. We want justice. And dear Lord, I pray that as we reflect on the terrible tragedy, the sorrow and the laments, the outcry that is coming up to your ears, Lord, as a result of the events of the last week, in the last years, in the last decades, I pray, Lord, for wisdom. I pray for charity. I pray, Lord, for your grace, that by your grace, inju injustice might be ended, that justice might be found, and that, dear Lord, we might be able to not only proclaim Christ Jesus, but live in ways that give expression to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we're called to do in Philippians 2. Give us wisdom as as we care for those in our communities who are feeling the angst and the pain and the hurt of these events. And please be with us as well, Lord, that the power of your spirit would strengthen us and fortify us for this day and for this time in which you have placed us in your providence. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, brothers, I want to open up with the events of this last week even as we were going into last week, thinking about what we were going to discuss this week on the podcast, no one knew where the week was going to go. And after the tragic and filmed death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, there's been an outbreak amongst first central cities in the United States, and now it's spreading to larger cities on the coast. And there's just, in a way that I haven't experienced before, there is a sense of dread and anxiety and fear and hurt and this deep affliction in not only the Christian church in which I serve and the churches in this area, but really outside and beyond in all of the communities in which I'm interacting. This is touching all of us. And... As a result, we wanted to stop and take a moment and just think about and talk about what this means, how we ought to approach it, and how we can care for one another and care for the world as we're called to um, during this situation. If I can just begin with an anecdote. My sons, they're eight and 10. They've heard us say uh, George Floyd's name throughout the week, my wife and I, when we were talking. And so randomly on Saturday, they asked why we've been talking about this man that they've never met. And so we made the decision to show them the video. Uh, they're eight and 10, but uh, we thought that we should show them the video, the tragic video that many people have seen. Um, and I'm not in any way suggesting that, you know, this is what every parent, Christian parent should do. But I do know that in our African-American community, um, African-American children 
not only have seen this video, but just have seen this throughout their lives. And I thought it would be important for uh, my boys to see what we mean by uh, the African-American plight. And um, it was, it, I, I can't, I wish I could describe it perfectly to see them see the video. And the questions that they asked were so, so powerful. Um, you know, my second son asked, why, why isn't he taking his knee off, you know, as he heard Floyd say, I can't breathe, right? Or my other son asked, he's a police officer, isn't he supposed to be protecting people, right? And at the end of um, the video, it was just, you know, my, my boys, typical boys, they're, they're a bunch of pranksters, they're always laughing. But for some reason, it really affected them to see that this is not just a one-time incident for the African-American community, but something that happens on such a regular basis. And so for me, um, I, I, I thought I wanted to just begin by sharing that story because it led to a very good discussion. Uh, you know, in our culture, we talk about that God is love, 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 but to talk to them about how God is committed to justice. And ultimately, of course, we see that on the cross. But you know, as we think about the situation, I think that one of the struggles that we have in the DMV area, and I know we have listeners that are not from the DMV area, but the DMV area can become sort of a bubble, right? Where we don't see the kind of violence and, you know, uh, that much of our nation is seeing. And so for me, I thought it was very important for my boys to actually witness, um, you know, what event led to everything else that is going on right now. Thanks for sharing that. I, I talked with our older daughters about it over the weekend and it struck me how many of my African-American friends have said, oh yeah, I have to have that conversation um, pretty early on, particularly with young men. You know, you have to be aware of the danger that is facing you as an African-American man in the United States of America. And it's not just something that started last week and it didn't start five years ago this has been going on since the beginning and it is this long uh, cultural history and that burden is not just for our african-american brothers and sisters but it's for the whole nation this is something that we all are living with and are coming out of and it's been to the detriment and destruction of all of us and i was struck this weekend again by how this is not just a problem for African-Americans. This is the problem for all of us. And it's a problem that needs to be addressed by all of us, particularly those of us who understand the work of Jesus Christ and the serious with, seriousness with which wickedness is treated by our God who is holy and will not stand by while the innocent perish and while the weak are oppressed. And that has to lead us to impassioned response as people who have political and relational and financial capital in a country where this burden is so deeply felt by not only one segment of its society, but the whole of the society. 
Yeah, Paul, I've, I really appreciate that that reflection and that that anecdote. I think it, it's an important one, and it's one I'll, I'll I'll think about as we continue our conversation with our own kids. I've been hearing from a lot of Christians, and I think this is a good response that one of the first things that we can do in the midst of challenge like this, in the midst of these uh, incredibly troubling events is to lament. And we've talked about that in the podcast over the last couple of weeks in various different ways. And I think that that's really true, but part of the precondition of being able to lament with somebody, particularly somebody whose experiences don't match your own is sympathy. And God has given us this, this powerful tool for growing in our sympathy for others, the, the ability to tell stories and to share experiences, to watch the videos, to, to hear and, and, and report out and communicate effectively. And that requires us who are maybe a step or two more removed from those situations to listen and to, and, and to listen with charity and to step in and, and imagine what it's like sharing those stories, watching those videos. It's, it's, it's hard and it's troubling, but it helps us cultivate an attitude where we like Christ enter into pain and difficulty in, in a way that will allow us to lament more fully and to pray more powerfully and to act more judiciously in our own situations and contexts. It's important, I think, to do that, to make sure that we're in contact with our, our friends who are in you know, minority context, particularly in this current situation, in the African-American context, checking in with them, praying with them and for them, and asking them how they're experiencing this and how we can be of help, be of aid, and come alongside them. In the Christ culture and contextualization class that we just had, there's a lot of discussion about how to practically reach out to each other and, you know, really show one another that we hear and we see what is going on. I think so often, particularly nowadays, maybe in this social media context where a, a proper response is seen as just sort of posting something online and then moving on from there and recognizing that this, this response needs to be also deeply personal and it's going to take time. It's going to be something that we need to be committed to and, and, and follow in the footsteps of people and ministers and community leaders who have been doing this well over the last few years and to learn and to sit even almost in kind of like a discipleship type way to learn and really sit under the teaching and the experience of another, right? I mean, that's what empathy is. It is being able to come alongside and experience something with someone. It's not looking down on them and recognizing and, and kind of admitting how bad it all is, but it's coming alongside someone and identifying with them. And I think that's an important move for the church as we're thinking about coming alongside our brothers and sisters in this context who are feeling the brunt so much of this burden. Right. And we have a model of that in, in our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and, and of what it means to enter in to bear as much as we can one another's burdens. He suffered with us in every respect. 
Well, just uh, very quickly, because just to um, add to what Tommy and Scott have shared, you know, this idea of empathy, sympathy, and so forth, right? Um, I think over the years, like, uh, I came from programs that just secluded me from the rest of the world, right? And so I was around academics and, and so forth. But over the past 10 years, especially, I've developed a lot of um, deep relationships uh, with African-Americans. Um, and... Um, and some of them are believers, some of them are not. But I think that because of that, because of these uh, deep relationships where I'm not just watching videos or reading about them, I can't help but uh, vicariously experience what they're going through because they're not just stories or ideas that we discuss, but uh, friendships. And so this is why I think that um, one of the best ways really that believers can respond to this situation, obviously it is to cry out for those who are being marginalized, who are victimized by systemic injustice and so forth. But I do think that it, it, it's good to think through like whether, you know, we are pursuing deep and meaningful relationships that are not utilitarian in the sense that, oh, I just want to be able to understand people better but whether the gospel has not already pushed us outside of our natural comfort levels and so forth, so that when we have dear and precious African-American brothers and sisters who, who, this has been just part of their lives, right? We naturally ache with them. And so, you know, I just been thinking a lot about how sympathy, empathy, these things really are hard to do unless we are already uh, developing deep relationships with those that are, you know, are you outside of our usual comfort and so forth. Thanks, Paul. I think that's exactly right. And having this discussion and reflecting on these recent events um, uh, bring me to reflection again on a passage that haunts me every now and then. It's Matthew 25, 35 onwards, when Jesus was saying that he would welcome the righteous because when he was hungry, the righteous gave him food. And when he was thirsty, when he was naked, he was clothed by his people, right? And then, of course, the righteous would answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or when did we see you naked that we clothed you? Or when, when we fed you, right? This is just a, a paraphrase of that particular passage. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, this is an evil that happens in an everyday kind of level. And how have we turned a blind eye to this and... It is, of course, lamentable that once again, it had to be caught on video for us to be wakened up, right? That this is an ordinary experience for so many people that are around us. And it is a radical evil. Uh, this is someone who has been made in God's image, who in every way, like every other human being, has dignity, is called to be a co-ruler with God as an image bearer of the triune God. And so this is not a time for just business as usual. This is a time for lamentation. This is a time for corporate solidarity. This is a time for care and to really pause and think about the ways in which we might have been complicit in unconscious ways and fortifying systemic injustice in, in very minor ways even. And also how can we therefore going forward avoid things like this to become repeated once again. And also how do we come alongside those who are already hurting now and pull them out and help them and be with them 
in this such a difficult season. And this is a, an evil that happens on an everyday level, but this is also going on in a time of serious, unusual evils ha- happening as well. In a time of a pandemic, in a time of economic turmoil and downfall, these, this is a, really a time not for business as usual. Well, I had a uh, interesting Lord's Day yesterday with my family here as uh, my oldest son providentially has made quite a lot of very deep friendships with uh, you know wide range of people from you know religious backgrounds as well as ethnic and and he was uh, sharing with me how he had conversations with his uh, African-American friends and just um, just communicating how how angry they were you know it's interesting that no no one is saying that what happened in these recent events that you know it starts with uh, Ahmad Aubrey onward no one is justifying this ever no one has said that this is okay but yet there's just this pent up frustration that just can't seem to be appeased as as he was sharing this with me i i have to confess i just didn't know what to say i was speechless you know i could sense his frustration his sense of uh of uh, hurt, you know, I've talked to some of our students, as I know all of you guys have as well, particularly our African-American students, and you're hearing them, and I I wish, you know, uh, I wish I had a quick response that could fix everything, you know, something that could, that I could say uh, that, uh, uh, that could just make everything okay, and, and I don't, I didn't have one, I just sort of sat there listening, just praying for wisdom, wanting to know what what exactly can I say here? What can we do? And and all all you could do is just sort of sit there, silent, uh, hurting, just as confused. Uh, and uh, I guess it, it were times like that that I really appreciated, you know, our lament psalms uh, because they articulate so much the 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 betrayal you know the you know psalm 55 talking about a close friend who has now stabbed me in the back so to speak uh or other psalms that uh describes uh loneliness or 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 fear and how they are crying out to the lord and i so appreciate those psalms in in hindsight just because they can put into words what what i i just can't i, I don't know how to articulate this i don't know how to uh, describe this and and to mourn uh, with with those who are mourning, to be frustrated with those who are frustrated, and to and to be just as sort of lost to know wh- where do we go from here? It's things haven't changed. Uh, it seems. Uh, how do we move forward? I'm sharing this now, just more as just sort of thoughts to share with you all, in terms of what uh, you know, what what I'm thinking and and looking for some direction myself. Well, I think Peter. I mean the. What you're talking about is is deeply true and perceptive, I think, as to what so many of us are thinking about and, and how we're responding to this in the sense of we have to go to the Lord and say, you know, with the prophet Ezekiel, you know, oh, Lord, you know, you know, can these bones live? You know, can there be justice in the midst of this? And I think we have to cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to live out the gospel. We need to love our neighbors. I, I know people who say, well, what do you expect me to do? What, what can I do, you know, where I live and where I am? And 
I want to say, trust God's providence. He's put you in this place. What can you do where you live? (laughs) How can you share the love and the grace of Christ with those around you? Even in the particular ways that this current situation calls us to. But yeah, I think there's, there, there is a huge, there's a huge reliance issue here, which some of us may even feel uncomfortable with that we have to actually just throw ourselves on the Lord for his mercy and beg him like the psalmist to say, search me, O God, know my heart. Spirit, show me if there's a hurtful way in me, right? Lead me in your everlasting way because I don't know what that looks like. That's really helpful. It's a reminder that in, in the face of trage- tragedies like this, we want, to, we want to act and we want to act big. We want to act boldly. We want to f- fix the problems. Peter, I was thinking about this when you were talking, like it's kind of the nature of sin that we can't fix it. The, when I harm somebody, there's no, there's no way that I as a human can restore what I've, what I've harmed. And it feels, you feel helpless in, in those kinds of situations. And particularly when you're talking about this, these big scale injustices that are systemic in our society, how do I respond to that in a way that fits? And you can't, but what you can do is think about who's in your immediate orbit. Who, who, are, who is my neighbor here is what Jesus calls us to, to do. And it may seem like a smaller component of the problem. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be involved in some sort of larger scale involvement, but to begin with, who has God put into my care? How can I reach out to them? How can I care for them? How can I hear from them uh, and, and move in a way that shows Christ's love for my neighbor? The scriptures talk about you know, national upheaval. I was reading Habakkuk yesterday and reflecting on the complexity of the affliction and the violence that Habakkuk, the prophet, is facing where you have Israelites oppressing Israelites, you have Babylon on the horizon coming through to oppress the nations. And there's this outcry at this national upheaval that I think gives voice to so much of the conflict and violence that we're seeing today, this this lament, and it garners a real outcry. Yes, Scott. So in terms of like our situation, I think that the violence that we're seeing in the rioting, looting, is um, is wrong. I, man, but I, I want to say that in a very humble way because, as uh, some African Americans have very aptly noted, um, they they too they don't uh, condone this violence, but they have said this is our regular experience any fear that people might experience from a few days, even a few weeks of rioting and looting, she says, you know, they say, well, that's the regular African-American experience. And so, you know, there's a way to think about this that's nuanced and hopefully we can get these nuances where we can say in one sense, it's not right what's going on, obviously, lives being torn apart. But in another sense, this does give us some window into what is the regular experience of our African-American brothers, sisters, and overall community. Yeah, and it's helping us understand what they've been experiencing 
we've been talking a little bit about like what's what we can clearly say like and uh, and on the one hand we can we can very clearly say amidst all of the nuances and frustration difficulties challenges we can clearly say on the one hand we want justice we want to condemn you know the murder of an innocent black man we want to condemn it, it, justice in our society. And we can also clearly say we don't want to couple one injustice with another set of injustices. And yet at the same time, it's, I think, important for us, as you, as you said, Paul, to use this and think about this in a way that understands the kind of fear that our neighbors are regularly experiencing. Yeah, amen the fear that we have with the violence and the protesting is just being symptomatic of what our uh, African-American friends are, are experiencing from day to day. Um, I, I, we, uh, I was getting gas the other day, stepped out of my car to pump. My daughter was with me in the next seat. And uh, after I got in the car and went on my way, um, she actually commented and said that she, for a moment there, she was afraid afraid for me. Now, I'm not African-American, obviously, but she, she she just didn't know, in fact, if something might happen to me just stepping out of there. And uh, and that's just sort of one small taste that she had, I think, of what uh, a lot of our friends here are experiencing from day to day. If if it helps, the narr if it helps to be able to, uh, it, it's a helpful comment for me because it, it helps me to know how to mourn with those who mourn you know, to weep with those who weep, uh, to fellowship to some extent, not, not in, in, in the fullest sense, of course, but at least in some way to fellowship with them in their suffering and the daily fears that they, and, and it's terrible and it's, and it's horrible. And perhaps to a certain extent, I hope that perhaps by being able to share in that, it, it gives us a whole new approach to a, a fuel of thought of how to discuss these things and how to uh, uh, dialogue to 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 improve this in 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 the uptime upcoming days beyond uh, the days that we're going through now. Yeah, and it's got to be in the context of that, doesn't it? That that empathy, that understanding, that solidarity that we do seek the welfare, you know, the wholeness of our society. And. Uh, you know, it, uh, it's funny, so much, um, you know, the, that verse in Jeremiah 29 is so frequently cited in certain contexts of how the Israelites in exile were called to pray for, and to work for the peace uh, of the city um, without, of course, in any way uh, minimizing uh, the, the genuine injustice that has been happening before our very eyes over these last several weeks um, without uh, negating that in any way. Uh, it's another biblical principle that uh, we perhaps need to be reminded of. Uh, let's make our protest, let's make it strong with one voice uh, and make it very clear to the surround community, uh, but do it in such a way that is working for the peace of our communities uh, as the scripture uh, uh, asked, uh, as the scripture calls for us to do. Amen. And for everybody in them. So thank you for the discussion. It's been really good, really helpful. Um, I 
I guess I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of knowing people who, whose desire is to see more action. Uh, they appreciate uh, the empathy or the sympathy. Uh, they appreciate statements of, of outrage, controlled outrage, and um, just general lament over the things that we've been seeing. But they also have the desire to see actual change. And of course, actual change can be slow and, and we need to keep our expectations, you know, uh, correct because things are not going to be perfect until Jesus comes back uh, and inaugurates the new creation. But yet, what, what are things that we can do uh, to pursue change in, in our personal lives, which we've discussed already in, in this, this time, but also perhaps more widely in society? What are things we could do? I, I think that's a great question, Timo, and I've had the same brought to me. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we talk about a lot in the Isaiah to Malachi class is the corrupt fast of Isaiah 58, where you have these folks gathering together in worship. Their theology seems good. Their practice is good, but it's not matched by their daily action. And as a result, the fast is a curse to them, not a blessing. It's not worship. It increases their judgment. And I think about that too. I mean, as I'm looking at the cases just of the last few weeks of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, in both cases, there is this apparent obstruction of justice in some way, either in the case of Ahmaud Arbery, that it took months for the case to be brought. And in the case of George Floyd, that it seemed as if at least one of these officers had a significant history of these kinds of complaints about violence and brutality. There's a system that needs to be changed, that needs to be addressed, that's more than just the psychological burden that we've been talking about so far. And I think each one of us have to ask ourselves and also ask those who are doing this well, how do we be a part of and encourage and push for that kind of change. Thanks, God. That's really helpful. And I think for those of us who don't have access to those who are uh, creating public policies or have an influence within public policy, um, try to think about what is in front of you primarily rather than that which is systemic and global and seen beyond you. I think that we are psychological beings and that to think about goals that seem unreachable or unachievable or just too big would actually paralyze us. It actually stops us from real action and it, it causes us to simply resort to virtue signaling or a kind of passive resignation. And I think what we could do about the big problems that bother us, start with the incremental things that you could do before us. If you're a parent, how do we raise our kids well in this such a in such a polarized environment? How do we cause them to think about those who are different from us as image bearers, right? And, and, and the equality of the human race, corporate solidarity, and all of those things. If you're a teacher who are caring about your students, how do you reach out to the students that have been affected by this? Uh, whatever it is that you're caring about, uh, start with what is right in front of you and what you are able to do, what is achievable before you. And to that end, let's open this up to the RTS community. We would love to have this conversation and hear from those of you who have good thoughts 
good advice, good counsel, and can provide a way for moving forward on how to address these issues in practical and effective and God-honoring ways. So we want to open that conversation up. Reach out to us via email, via text, uh, for those of you who have that access, or via the, the social media um, site for the campus. Um, we also plan on having a town hall meeting where we gather together as a faculty and staff and student body and as a community really and come together and discuss these issues and pray together. So keep an eye out on this space for more information in that regard, but we want to open this up and make this more than uh, just a conversation between us. We want to invite you into it. So thank you, Timo, for that question and always guiding us as we should be guided towards practical expressions of our faith. This has been the Faculty Podcast of Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. I'm Scott Redd. I've been joined by Dr. Paul Jean, Dr. Tommy Keene, Dr. Grace Sutanto, Dr. Peter Lee, and Timo Sazo. Thanks for joining us. We will keep you in our prayers, and until next time, take care. Amen.